Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. Well, good morning, Grace. Hey, we're going to spend a couple of weeks together, um, just a little mini-series on how to change. Today we're going to look at the nature of change, and next week we're going to look um, a little more about how we can participate in change. But, you know, we're transformed by God's grace, and one of the reasons we're doing this series is because uh, this fall I've had a number of conversations with people in leadership and also just in the hallways of our campus about, about change. You know, how do I change? What does change look like? Uh, I feel like I'm stalled. Uh, my friend or roommate or whatever it might be, they haven't changed at all. Is, should I, is there a conversation that follows in light of that? And so anyway, it's been interesting in, in some of the um, issues that have come up in the church. It would just seem right to do something on change. So here we go. And again, let me reiterate that today we're going to talk about the nature of change. Next week, we'll look at how, what, how we can play our part in that. But when it comes to the topic of the nature of change, you'll, you need to go to Galatians chapter 5. That, that is one of the most succinct passages on spiritual change that you can find. We're going to look just mostly at a single phrase and a lot of sentences around it that give us context. But this is so dense about having to do with the power of Christ changing our life, the power of the Holy Spirit living in our life, uh, radical change that, that, doesn't, that doesn't ebb and flow. So if you'll turn to Galatians, that's going to be towards the end of your Bibles. It's Paul's letter to a church in Galatia. I'm going to start reading at verse 16, and then um, I'll go through 18, and then I'll jump to 22. So I want you to look, by the way, there's a theme here, a, a repeated phrase or word is has, having to do with desires. I'll bring that up in, at the end of the uh, learning time today. But verse 16 says, so I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires, there it is, desires of your sinful nature. <clears throat> For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with one another. So you do not do what you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are no longer under the law. Now, let's go to verse 22, and it says, But the fruit of the Spirit, this is, might be familiar to you, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires... Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So we're looking at real change. We're talking about lasting, permanent, radical, deep, mysterious, miraculous change. That's what we're talking about. Not something that gets you through a season of life or a set of circumstances or even a temperament. You're like the way God made you. Not that kind of attributes. We're talking about things that only God could make happen in our lives. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a single phrase today, but it's just loaded with meaning. Like I said, it's maybe the densest few words in the Bible that talk about what we're expected to see, and that phrase is the fruit of the Spirit. When we look at the fruit of the Spirit, we're trying to figure out the nature of change. It's, it's, for the most part, there's three parts to this. I'm sorry I didn't get to you an outline. I wasn't sure how many parts. It could have been four. So the, the, first, one is, the first one is singular, and then it's, it's um, slow but sure, and then finally miraculous. So the outline goes like this. It is singular, it's slow but sure, and miraculous. Okay, let's look at singular. Here's the first point. The passage says the fruit of the Spirit is... 
love, joy, peace, patience. So the, the subject is singular, and the predicate, the rest of the sentence that follows, is a list of things. It's plural. And so the grammar Nazis kind of have a little fit here because it doesn't match. Even, even the form of B is singular. And this is one, by the way, this is one of the reasons why we believe that not every word, but even every letter is from God in the Bible because it makes a difference. We would say that Paul did that on purpose. It wasn't a grammatical error, that he's trying to make this statement, and this is it, that the fruit is singular. It all, it gets, it's clumped together. It is, it is a bushel that's all connected. It's almost like um, a set, there's, a, there's a kind of tree that um, the forest actually shares a root system. It is it's several different kinds, several different trees, but they're all living off the same root system. And so this idea of the fruit of the Spirit being singular, not plural, is the idea of all these fruit are connected with one, in, with one another. They're like interdependent on each other so that you can't have one in absence of others. If you have the fruit of the Spirit, if it's really the fruit of the Holy Spirit, better, right, better phrase, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, it's more like there's several boats out on the, on, in the bay, and when the tide rises, all the ships rise. Right? So it's not, you, you have to have them combined, and they work together for each other. If they're working independent, it's probably not the real fruit of the Spirit of God. I think it'd be helpful if I just give you maybe three examples of how they should be working, they should be together. So I hope that helps. So like peace and humility, peace and gentleness, okay? Gentleness is humility. It's the absence of pride. And peace and gentleness are supposed to go together. A person who is peaceful is that way because they're humble, because they're, they stand before God and they let God live, you know, let their, they let God be in control. People that are, people have difficulties with worry or, or anger, and, and they're related, right? Is, it's because they're proud. It's because they, they, they want to be in charge, and they worry about their plan, or, or somebody blocks their plan, and they, they, they're going to go take care of that. Now, whether you pass this test on Sunday morning or not, the person who worries a lot really only has three ways of looking at God. One is that God doesn't exist. I've got to take over here. He, he exists, but he's not, he's not going to be working on this for me, and so I'll have to do that. Or finally, you know, God might take me to a place I don't want to go, and, and so I'm going to do this myself. So it's all about the word sovereignty means that there's a plan and there's a power to make the plan happen. A person that worries a lot or has a, a, you know, temper issues when it comes to control it's because they want to be in charge. They think they're sovereign. And so when something happens at school or whatever it's going to be, I need to get up there and tell the teacher how to do things because it's not working according to my plan. Now, I want you to see, I'll show you a passage, but I want you to know what to listen for in this passage in James. James is trying to show us, look, we can make all kinds of plans, but we have to be humble about them because we're just... We're not much when it comes to sovereign. And when we get proud about our plans, then we start worrying about them, and then we start throwing tantrums when they're blocked, and that's not a fruit of the Spirit. That's not real peace. Look at James chapter 4. I'll put it up on the screens here. James says, now, come on. 
those of you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city and we'll spend a year there and we'll engage in business and we'll make some profit. I got this. It's all under my control. Verse 14, here's the slap down. Yet you do not even know what your life will be like tomorrow. Forget about next year. You're, you're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then you vanish away. But instead, here's what you ought to say. If the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or do that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. Now, you see, James isn't saying don't plan. He's saying don't plan like it's your universe and you actually think you're in charge or in control because when that happens, you, sh- you forget that you're just a vapor. You're just kind of coming here and go, what do you know about tomorrow, what that will bring? So a person that is at peace, that's a proud person, is at peace because their ducks are lined up today. They, they've, they have a good job, and they've learned how to make more than they spend. They may be married, somebody that, that they um, can tolerate them. Uh, their kids have learned to march in line, and everything's going according to plan. So look how peaceful they are. But that's not... Holy Spirit, the peace of God, because peace and humility are attached to one another. They're connected. And this person, all you have to do is take away one of those things, and, and they're no longer at peace. They're worrisome or they're intolerant. A better example, maybe, would be a positive example when the Spirit is, the Spirit's gifts are working together, and we kind of sang about that in the first song, right? I will sing when I'm in misery, when you take away, when you have no control, look at it another way, when you, have, when you lose control, when you realize your plans aren't going to happen, when you find yourself suddenly unemployed or prolonged unemployed or finding yourself with an illness that doesn't even have a name yet, yet that's not a good day, and you find yourself peaceful, and you, you don't even know why, you, you would say, you know, I feel like people are praying for me because I I can't explain why my life is out of control, and yet I'm not worried about it. I'm not angry about things. I'll tell you why. Because it's a fruit of the Spirit. It's not a fruit of your abilities. So see how those are connected? Another one, uh, gentleness and faithfulness. Faithfulness is defined as loyalty with courage. Okay? Faithfulness is loyalty with courage, and that's why it says in Proverbs, faithful are the wounds of a friend because... A faithful friend is one who's, right, um, a person who's dedicated and loyal and they're courageous. And they will come and they will wound you. They will be so courageous and so loyal that they'll even tell you something you don't want to hear because it's a great thing for you to hear. So some people, they'll be gentle, but they're not faithful. They're not loyal and courageous. And their gentleness is, is mo- for most, you know, gentle people, they're kind people. Everybody loves the gentle people. But when it comes down to it, it's their temperament. It's the way, like, it's the, it's the hand they got dealt. It wasn't even their fault. Oh, look, you're gentle just like your dad. You could go, you could go to the children's ministry, the little big one or two-year-olds, and say, gentle, gentle, not so gentle, gentle. And they're always going to be gentle. Is that a fruit of the Spirit? No, that's, that's a gift of, of temperament. It's chemistry in some people's lives. It's gentleness when a person realizes a friend that they love, see, love and gentleness working together with faithfulness, I've got to go talk to them. 
A, a gentle person that won't talk to their friend, they aren't courageous, they're cowards. And you can't mix gentle and coward. It's not a fruit of the Spirit. That's just a temperament. And so that's why it's singular. The fruit of the Spirit is. It's love and gentleness and faithfulness. If you love your friend, you'll talk to them. Because faithful are the wounds of a friend. See how they work together? That's the point. I mean, you can see that with self-control or peace. I mean, some people, when they get older, they, just, they, they, they get peace. And it's not because of the fruit of the Spirit. They just get tired. You know, it's like a burned-out rock star. It's like, look at him. He's not throwing tantrums. He's not tearing up hotel rooms anymore. Well, yeah, he's just sleeping most of the time. Some people get peaceful or they deal with self-control because they just quit caring. That doesn't count, okay? I just don't care, whatever. That's not, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a singular, connected, interdependent. That's what it means when we say the fruit of the Spirit, the, the fruit of the Spirit. Okay, that's one aspect of it. We just see that from the phrase. But look, the second part I want to um, bring to your attention is that it's slow but sure. I think Paul uses the word fruit not because, you know, his audience is agricultural, right? They're agrarian. It's because there's so much of a metaphor with plant life. And that's why Paul uses it in other places and Peter uses it as well. Plant life is much, very similar to spiritual growth. There's so much overlap here, you can't miss this. And so Paul's using it, this organic growth, this botanical growth, to say, look, it's like an apple tree. It's like, I don't know, it's like growing potatoes or something. It's natural, but it's, here's, it's slow but sure. And, and this is a two-sided coin here, so we'll just start with slow, and then we'll talk about sure. But slow part is, the, is that it's, it's, it's hard to see. It's hard to notice. You, you can't even see it grow. We have, we have, a, we have a joke that, about people that are bored. What are you doing? I'm watching the grass grow. Well, that's goofy because you can't see the grass grow because it's so slow. When you're growing or your children are growing, you might have noticed you don't see them grow. The children don't see themselves grow. You don't see them grow. And then someone comes in from the outside and says, whoa, you've grown so much. But they don't feel the growth, Right. And so the application is to be patient. If, if the spiritual fruit is simple and singular, but if it's a fruit, you need to be patient with the growth. There's a winter, right? The fall and winter, it doesn't look like anything's happening but death. And in the wintertime, it's when the, the roots are growing deepest. And, and it's, this, it's the spring that you see this fantastic display of the fruit being, being birthed, but you have to be patient. You know, if you dig up the garden in the, in the winter, you'll dig up the potential. And, and it, you don't even know its growth until it's tested. That's how most of us, that's how most of us know that we've grown, okay, metaphorically, just physically. It, you have to be tested to feel the difference. But you have to be patient with yourself. Um, I was thinking of uh, a story. I was listening to National Public Radio on the way to work one time, and they were just reading short stories. And one was especially affectionate towards me because it just reminded me of growing up, I guess. Uh, it was about these boys that had every year they played sandlot baseball in the summertime. And, and they played, I mean, they just grew up together playing every summer in, the, in this back lot. And this one particular summer, the first day of sandlot baseball, first guy gets to bat, pow, knocks the ball over the back fence. 
And so everybody's cheering. They've never seen any. No one ever hit it over the back fence before. And so somebody else is like, I want to try. I want to try. That is an incredible bat. I want to use that bat too. And so the next guy gets up, slams it out of the park. And then they just start throwing. And everybody's rotating into the batting cycle because no one had hit home runs. And now everybody could. And they didn't know why. And so they blamed it, of course, on, on the new bat. But it wasn't that. And one of the dads finally pulls up to pick up his son. And they're showing him what they can do. And the dad says, okay, come here. I, want to, I need to tell you about the facts of life. Here's the thing. You're not boys anymore. You're young men. And this is the, you are on the sunny side of adolescence. And your bodies have changed. And you never saw it until the first day of the summer sandlot baseball. It's a wonderful story that they tell because at the end, it, it, it's all these men, all the fathers sitting on the hoods of their car, watching their sons bury balls in the field. You don't know it until you're tested oftentimes because it's so slow. Be patient. And there'll be a day when something unravels in your life or somebody assaults you in some way and you are patient and kind and loving and you can't explain it. Your friends or your Loved ones are standing right next to you and they go, Dad, that wasn't like you. You should do that more. I'm scared too. That was amazing. I didn't fight back. I just let them keep talking even though they knew they were wrong. And you know what I mean? I mean, you, you, you look back just like these baseball players. So I tell the story because the baseball players were surprised at their growth. They didn't know it until it was tested. Sometimes persecution and suffering test that and you realize that God is doing a great work in you. Because... Because spiritual growth, these spiritual fruit, it's, it's slow. But here's the other side of the coin. It's sure. It is certain. It is absolutely going to happen. I mean, what is, what is the seed that is, that is producing this fruit? Right? It, it, is, it is the Holy Spirit himself. And he's going to change you. If, if you have him, you are going to change. This, this has power. It has enormous potential to revolutionize every life. And so while it's slow and you need to be patient, you need to ask yourself, wait a minute, is something happening in my life? Because if there's not, you should be very concerned. Um, G. Campbell Morgan, in his commentary on this section, talks about when he, he was a British uh, preacher, and when he visited Italy one time, he went, went to a cemetery, and he saw this just enormous uh, slab of a headstone made out of granite or marble. And it was, it was noteworthy because they had placed this, this headstone on top of a budding acorn but didn't know it. And over the hundreds of years, <laughs> the acorn split the slab in half and then just enveloped it into its trunk as it grew year after year. Slow, but sure. If I had a 2,000-pound slab of granite up here and a small acorn, who would you bet on? God would say the power of the Spirit is no mere acorn, but it is at least that to illustrate the point. You are not saved by the fruit of the Spirit. Okay. The love and joy and peace and patience, those fruit do not save you. But a saving faith will always produce fruit. Okay, it's cause-effect. Don't focus on the effect. 
Fruit do not save. You are saved by grace. You are saved because you decide to receive a gift of Christ's death and resurrection. And he says, I will revolutionize your soul. I will make it new. That saves you. That is the same thing that produces the fruit in you. And if you, if you focus on the fruit, you don't, you don't get any fruit. If you, let me just say this again. The fruit does not cause you to be saved, but a causing, saving faith will always produce fruit. The, I'm not suggesting that you're not a Christian. I'm saying in the Bible, if the Bible says that if you don't have fruit, you should have no confidence that you are a follower of Christ. You could be, but the fruit is where you go for confidence. Fruit gives you assurance of salvation. In every uh, one of the epistles, if there's ever a a talk about the assurance of salvation, it is always by looking at your life, looking at the consequences of a supernatural Holy Spirit housed inside of your soul, breaking out and tearing apart old monuments. That's how you become assured. So the application is you might need to ask someone a hard question about what's happening in your life. I mean, your mate should see changes if you've been married over a period of time because it's slow, but it's sure, right? An old friend should be able to meet up with you again and be able to notice something different. It's slow, but it's sure. That's why you have to leave for a while and come back to see the growth. Look, if you had a child and they were, I don't know, two months old, and then they just stayed at that size and didn't grow anymore, how long would it take you to be concerned to go see a doctor and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, the, my baby quit growing. If you bought an apple tree down at you know, Home Depot or Lowe's and you brought it and you planted it and nothing happened the first year, you'd say, okay, you know, it was traumatized by the transportation. I get that. Mm-hmm. And then next year, nothing happened, but you thought, oh, maybe I should just maybe water some more, maybe some fertilizer. Year three, year four, still no apples. When are you concerned? <laughs> When do you go back and say, look, you either did not sell me an apple tree or that tree's dead, but it's not producing fruit. Apple trees have apples. Spirit souls have fruit of the spirit, love and joy and peace and patience, and they're all connected. So you should be concerned if, if there's longevity of seasons and there's no evidence of supernatural connected singular fruit together. Okay. Okay. Let's, um, let's look at the last thing and that's miraculous. So you have singular and you have slow, but sure. And then miraculous and miraculous. The idea there is simply that this is not you. This is not mechanical growth. This is living growth. Okay. It's not, it's not mechanical growth. It's living growth. In other words, you could stack a bunch of rocks in a mound, right? And it would get bigger. It would grow because you're mechanically adding something to it. It doesn't, it doesn't live. The pile of rocks does not live. The spiritual gifts or these spiritual fruits, they are living. They are mysterious in their growth. They're, it's an outside source that's causing life to spring out. So things like um, you know, teaching and counseling and, and leadership and wisdom and these sorts of things, they might even be gifts of the Spirit, but they're not fruit of the Spirit. But mostly a lot of times... They're just temperamental gifts, and you can work hard at those things, and you can get better at those things. You can pile rocks on top of them and have a huge growing mound that is not what we're talking about. 
The fruit of the Spirit is organic. It, 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 it is by grace that not that you're just saved, but it's by grace that you're producing anything like this singular, slow but certain growth. It's very easy to slip into mechanical type growth. If you or even caught, you know, counted as that. I mean, some of the heroes of the faith, right? Martin Luther and, and John Wesley, by their own admission, okay, this is not me judging them, okay? This is by their own admission, they said that they that they taught the Bible. They wrote books about the Bible. They fed the hungry. They visited the poor and the needy. They, they, they helped transform other people's lives. In the, but it was, they were just resume building. They were just, they were just piling rocks on top of other rocks. They were, they were trying to show off to God to win his approval. They were, they were trying to undo guilt. They were not... They were not producing fruit by the power of the Holy Spirit. When both of these men kind of had an acquaintance with God's grace, grace transformed them, their ministries were revolutionized. See, there is a, there's a scary set of sentences in red letters that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 7, and it's, he's talking about it's not what you're doing, it's the source of what you're doing. So look what it says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 22 and 23. It says, many will say to me on that day, the day of judgment, Lord, Lord, did, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not name with your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. I never knew you. Get away from me, you evildoers. And Martin Luther and John Wesley could say, he would have said that to me. And their resumes and their pile of rocks is so much bigger than ours. If you're a Bible teacher, it doesn't mean that it's fruit of the Spirit. If other people's lives are changed because of your counseling and your insight, that's their fruit. (laughs) Their lives are changing. Good for them. That's not evidence of the fruit of the Spirit. Because, Because grace changes people's lives. And around here, what we listen, what, this is what we talk a lot about here because we, this is a different style of transformation. This is biblical transformation, and even good churches get right into piles of rocks, mechanical growth instead of organic growth. Jesus says it, it, is, it is him doing the work in you. And sometimes you have to kind of have a second round of giving up and saying, I, I can't do this anymore, just like you did with salvation. I give up. I can't do this anymore. I'm wrong. Many of the fruits of the Spirit come about because you say, I give up. I can't do this anymore. Will you work in my heart? Dear God. And at the end of the day, because it's, mechanic, because, I mean, because it's not mechanical, because it's miraculous, when, when, when people see you, like, look, if you run into a friend and you haven't seen them for years and you go on a weekend endeavor together, if they say you haven't changed a bit, that is not a compliment. They should say, what? I mean, what is all this that's happened in your life? And you, and you say, you mean the connectivity between love and joy and supernatural peace and patience and spirit-led kindness and gentleness and self-control? That's not from me. I... I had a, like a supernatural intervention by the Holy Spirit. Well, how do you do that? 
Okay. We'll talk about that a little bit more next week, about like what you can play, like, dig a, like you're planting an apple tree, right? You can dig a bigger hole. You can add fertilizer. You can water a lot. We'll look at those things, but we're always going to be hoping and blaming in God's supernatural powers. Let's look at what this passage says about what we can, quote, do. What is the trick? What is the, what's the angle on this supernatural, singular, slow but sure, miraculous fruits of the Spirit. Okay, let's look at some of the passage here because I think that we might find the clues. Remember what I told you that one of the theme words was is desire? Let's look at uh, 15, or 5, 16, and 17. It says, but I say, walk in the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire. There it is, the desires of the flesh, for the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit and the Spirit's desire, that's assumed there, against the flesh. For these things are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. Paul's focus here is not, it's not really on desire so much. It's on what you desire most. I mean, you have to stop desiring. You have to crucify some of these old desires, kill them. But, But how do you do that? It says you have to desire the things of the spirit. And you have, here's the thing. You have to desire those first. If they're second, it, doesn't, it, it won't produce fruit. So the Spirit is saying, you need to desire what I desire. And what does the Spirit desire? What is it? What does is, what is he long for? What is he? I mean, a, a, kind of a crude expression of desire would be lust. What is he pointing us to? He's pointing us to Christ. You don't desire the fruit. That's the effect. You desire the cause, Jesus, the job of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I have to leave so the Spirit will come and convict men of sin and introduce them to me. The Spirit has this this overattached commitment to the Son. And if you pursue the Son and not the gifts, then things happen in your life that are supernatural, miraculous, right? It, they're slow, but they're sure, and they're singular. They're fruits of the Spirit. They're fruits of the Spirit's desire. What is the Spirit desire? The Spirit desires the Son. Pursue the Son, and you get the fruit. If you want to change, real change, do you want real change in your life? Do you want these attributes to be told about you in heaven for eternity, right? Then you, you look at Christ not for those fruit, but for him. Do you want love? Look at what he did. Study his life. Jump into the New Testament. Be a bystander or a secondary player in this thing. Be the prostitute or the rich guy that climbs a tree, Zacchaeus. Be that. And watch what happens when he comes to your village and comes to your world. Look what he does to it with the power of love. Look what he did to you, Zacchaeus. He had a meal with you. Look what he did, a prostitute. He said, you're done. You're forgiven. Now quit sinning. Who says that? Who does that but love? You want joy? The Spirit says, look at the beauty of the one that I'm introducing you to. How could you not be overflowing with joy by looking at the beauty of the king? You want peace? You want tranquility and gentleness? Look at him. He's in, he's in control of everything, and he loves us. So just relax and hold your plans loosely. 
He loves your children. He loves your world more than you ever could. He wants you to be so much greater than your ambitions. Greater in that soulish ways, not the king of the hill. Do you want patience? You study the Christ on the cross when he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Self-control, you study. What would it be like for, for the last temptation of Christ, right, is when he's on the cross and they're mocking him and they're saying, you saved others, now save yourself. Oh, could I? I mean, he, he said he could call down legions of angels, not like he needs any more than one, but maybe to just make a spectacle. He could do that. That is self-control. And when we have this romantic attachment to the Son of God, and that's where we spend our energy and enthralled with that, then, then the Spirit produces in us this singular real change that is like the king we admire. And it's simple, it's connected, right? It takes a while. Sometimes we have growth spurts, but it's certain to happen. And we will tell as many friends as we could, as we can, that it is a thing from God. That's the nature of supernatural, life-transforming change that comes only from the God of the universe through his son's death and resurrection and the power of his spirit that indwells the souls who have trusted him. Let us pray for real change. Dear Heavenly Father, dear God, the king of the universe who sent his son to die for us, to rise again to prove the point and to, so that we might inherit his righteousness. God, let your spirit run wild in our hearts to slay these, these other desires that are inappropriately placed first. There's, there's desires of the flesh that simply need to be crucified. But there's these other desires that keep the spirit from growing. And I desire to love my wife more than my Savior so many times. And, I, and it, nothing works when that happens. And so I confess that. I, I desire even some ambitions for good things to happen in my life and other people's lives, but that's not desiring Christ. So, Lord, let your spirit have his way in his longing for us to love your son. And let us be a church that, it, that, is, that is this banquet of fruit, that the whole city gets to enjoy, that is, that is not lopsided or out of balance, that is singularly attached to all of these fruit, that is miraculous and certain to happen in our lives if we're patient. So God, give us that, not just individually, but give us that as a church, that we, we would be this luscious expression of overflowing joy from your spirit in our life. We pray this with great anticipation. In Jesus' name, amen. For more information about Grace, visit our website at grace360.org.